Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards, and I am accompanied with my friend and fellow co-worker, uh, Abby Lopez. And Abby and I do a lot of um, a, a lot of programs together, and we publish them really all over the world. She take you know you know she's in charge of really the international aspect of uh, of our ministry in, in several areas. And so uh, we got to talking about Christmas and this particular series that I'm doing. And we just decided we wanted to do something special for you to talk about your passion, talk about your passion for God, your passion for life. How do you keep passion? What do you what do you do when you find yourself in a dilemma or a pressure situation where it just seems like the passion goes away? So so we're going to talk about as much of that as we can in the time we got. So Abby, uh, just just dive in. Say hello to the people, and then we'll dive in. Absolutely. I'd like to say it's an honor to be here with you. Welcome, everybody. And as you see my background, it just sets the passion and the fire that we have. Let the fire of my altar never burns out. And this is the basically our theme, right, today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we love the sessions. You know, there's a really interesting thing about, because I always, and in the, in, in the Hebrew language always associates fire with passion. Well, there, there's another interesting place that the word, or that fire is connected to the Hebrew language. You know, the word repent in the Hebrew, the concept of repentance, is such a, an incredible concept. You know, we have watered the concept of repentance down to just kind of saying, okay, I'm sorry, God, you know, I'll, I'll never do it again, you know. And, uh, uh, and then some people go a little bit deeper and realize, well, wait a minute, repentance is really about me turning away from something over here and then turning to God. But what's really interesting is when you look at the Hebrew language, you see that the, the, the picture, that, that the word picture that, re, or, that represents fire uh, or repentance is very interesting because it, it's a picture of burning a house down. And the idea behind that is, if I'm really going to leave this behind, I need to burn it to the ground so that there's nothing to come back to. Wow. And look also how God revealed himself for the first time to Moses in, oh, yeah. as a form of fire. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we see that over and over in, in the scriptures. Where, where God, I mean, you think about the fire by night, cloud by day. Uh, God always revealed himself by fire. Of course, another concept with fire, since fire utterly destroys something, that also kind of presents this idea that when I give my life to God, all that I used to be is totally eradicated, is totally destroyed. God's not trying to make a just a kind of a new, cleaner version of me. He is eradicating everything about who I was and raising me up in newness of life and so that so that I can burn with this passion. So I'm not full of mixed motives and confusion and, and all that kind of stuff. 
exactly you said burn with passion we burn with the fire it's something eternal it's something that wants more and more of us right yeah. never says end the end it never says that's it so dr jim i have questions coming from listeners especially from this this series that you gave us those right very good and i would like to encourage all people that watch perhaps for the first time remember that you have to check all the first four uh, teachings of these yes years. they were absolutely amazing and i know if you feel like you are cold-hearted you're gonna be turned on oh my god absolutely so here's my first question dr jim who is god to me if people have questions like this after listening to you i don't know who god is for me you said passion you were talking so much about that burning thing. how can i raise it in my heart where do i start you know that is such a really such a legitimate question because you know there is the truth about who God is, and then you know, and I hate this. I hate this phrase. This is my truth. There is no such thing as my truth. But still, people do hold on to an illusion, and that becomes their truth. So, so there's who God really is, and then there is who I think God is. And usually it's because I'm not really looking at at God the way he says, you know, who he says he is and, and the things that he does. I'm looking at God through kind of through these lens of my past, you know, my failures, my disappointments, all the things that are going wrong, but even worse, all the religious junk that people have told me and tried to convince me that it's God causing all the problems in our life. So you can't be passionate for someone that you constantly expect to bring pain and suffering into your life. So much to think on. You teach a lot about names of God. Could you tell us why do you focus so much on the name of God? Why are they so significant? Why can't we just call God a God? Well, you know, the, the, the thing about the names of God, I mean, there's, there, there's just so many, so many functional, practical aspects to why God gave us his names. The names of God are not used like we use our names. You know, so, so Abby is a word that is spelled with three letters. Now, those three letters don't mean anything. All they are is phonetical. And by and something that, that's based on phonetics means it's just telling you how to pronounce the word. So I know A is A, B is B, I is Abby. So we got we got Abby. So that's a word, but it really doesn't mean anything. Yes, I always thought it meant Abba. Well, yeah. you can cl claim that. You should claim that. That's right. So, so we think of names as just meaningless handles you know, that we use to call people or, or, or to talk to, to people. But in the ancient world, names were significant because the names described the person. And this is one of the reasons why in many times in the Bible, someone will be born and be given a certain name at birth, but later on, God will change their name okay. because he's changing their name to say, I want your name to match 
who I'm making you to be. Give, give you a good example. You know, Abraham, mm-hmm. his, his name was originally Abram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he goes through the, he goes through this uh, a, a long period of time uh, of really kind of, I mean, he's, he's listening to God, he's following God, but he's kind of struggling with his destiny and his identity. Mm-hmm. You know, who, who, who am I? What, what do you want me to do? What is it? What is my life supposed to be? Well, now in the Hebrew language, to go from Abraham or to go from Abram to Abraham, you have to add the letter hey. That's where you get your H sound. So now you got a instead of Abram, you got Abraham or Ham. Now, what's interesting is that letter for the breath of God is, is speaking of God breathing his life into a situation. So now Abraham, he was well past the age uh, of, of, of being able to give birth to a child. His wife, Sarah, was past conceiving, and, and you know th- they had never been able to have children. So he changed her name from uh, uh, Sarai to Sarah. So, so you get that ha, that H sound. And saying that I'm going to breathe the breath of life in her and in her circumstance, and I'm going to breathe the breath of life into Abraham. Now, another interesting, well, well there are several, so many interesting concepts in this, but this gets into this thing of uh, the hay gets into the idea of glorifying God and, and, and experiences. So, so we recognize something about who Abraham is when God changed his name, because mm-hmm. now he becomes the father of many nations is what that name means. Does it have to do, did it have to do something with passion, like change of his heart? Well, actually it did. You know, um, Abram was raised in a pagan environment. Now, uh, uh, ancient history says that Abram's father was a general uh, in the the army for uh, man, I just, I just went blank uh, at the Tower of Babel. Um, Nimrod. Nimrod. That that he was a that he was a general in Nimrod's army. So now Nimrod, his his people who read the stars mm-hmm. saw that a star in a particular position in the sky indicated that a deliverer had been born. And so uh, Nimrod, he was the first one to do what Herod did later on when Jesus was born. He said, all right, we've got to get rid of anybody that can deliver people from my control. And so he killed all, all of the babies under a certain age. Well, Abraham's mother and father, they had a problem with conceiving children just like Abraham and Sarah later had. So they were well up in age and they conceived a child and they were so afraid. Well, they knew that if the king found out that they had a child, he would kill it. So they hid their child in a cave. And that was Abraham. That became- and that was Abraham. So I, we don't, I don't know how much of this, this is true, but uh, uh, ancient history says 
that Abraham was never allowed to come out in the daytime for fear that somebody would see him, or if he came out, he just came out for a short period of time. And so supposedly Abraham came out, or Abram, he came out, and he looked up and saw the sun in the sky, and he asked his father, he says, why is the sun in the, in the sky? And the father said, because that's the sun god. And so he gives him, you know, big teaching about the sun god. And so Abram goes back into the cave and he comes out later that night and sees the moon. And he says, well, where, where did the sun go? And why, why is there a moon up there? And he, and his daddy says, well, that's the moon goddess. Uh -huh. And so then he explained to Abraham how the moon goddess would come forth and kind of overtake or replace the sun god. And so according to ancient history, Abraham said, well, I don't care who the sun god is, and I don't care who the moon goddess is, I just want to know who created them. And so Abram had a, had a passion to know who God really was. And what's interesting is then God calls him to leave Ur the Chaldees and doesn't tell him where he's going. I mean, can you imagine living in ancient history? Man, it was a violent world. If you traveled alone, the odds were you were going to get you were going to get murdered and robbed, you know, along the way. But Abraham, he has something driving him, and, and what's driving him is is he wanted to find the Creator God. He wanted to find the one true God, and so and so he sets out not knowing where he's going, just following the leadership of the Lord as the Lord led him. And then ultimately, Abraham would have these experiences, or he'd have these times where he would become incredibly discouraged. He would, he would think, I'm getting older and older, and, and Sarah's getting older and older. I mean, this, this went so far, remember, that he actually committed adultery with a little servant girl. And now he took her under his under his tent uh, based on uh, her being not necessarily a part of a harem, but, but something that was socially acceptable at that, at that time of the world. She was his concubine. And even his wife talked him into. Yeah, because it was a shame for a woman mm -hmm. not to have children in the ancient world. Her whole sense of what she brought to the family was all about having children. So, so, I mean, Abraham was so passionate as he got older to figure out his role with God and his role in life, but, but also to have an heir because without an heir, basically one of the servants in his household would have taken over everything that he had, and, and, and that would, would have been the end of his legacy. So, yes, Abraham had a passion and what's interesting, his passion, there was this really, really God passion of, I want to know who the real God is. But then there was also somewhat of a natural and maybe even a little bit selfish passion of, I also want to have a son so that I have an heir to take over everything. So, you know, one of the things we learn from that is our passions for God are not always going to be the only thing that drives us. And that's all right as long as that doesn't supersede our pursuit of God. Even though it may have positive, looking good beginnings. Yeah. You, can have, you always talk about second motives. Yeah. Good and those subconscious, can I call it subconscious? Yeah. 
Sure. We talk about it. So look, Abram, Abram, he started good, but he twisted into Hagar's son. So we see how it got perverted. So we have two sides of dark and bright side of passion. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, there's an interesting terminology that I that I use quite a bit called mixed motives. Mm-hmm. And boy, mixed motives are really, really confused. And so like with Abraham, like I say, he had this passion for God and to know who the real God was, but he also wanted to have a son. So he's got mixed motives. And, you know, when you've got mixed motives, you know, if we're, if we're just doing something that just is revolving around God and we know who God is, and then we come to him and we connect with him, that fire starts burning within us. And, you know, we're alive to God, man, we are ready to roll. But then on this natural level, you got a passion and you're not seeing it come to pass. And so the tendency that that happens is we take our eyes off God and we put our eyes over here on this thing that we want that is not happening. And then we get discouraged and we're not careful. We will allow this, this natural temporary situation to override our passion for God, and we'll, we can end up turning our backs on God. Just like you were recently talking about distraction. Distraction can steal our great godly passion, correct? Yes. So like this fire behind me, it can serve us to uh, cook good meal, or it can burn ourselves, our body. Absolutely. And kill us. Mm-hmm. You know, one of, the, one of the things that was so interesting, God yeah. always found ways to restore Abraham's passion. Hmm. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> oh, it is. And, and that's the thing, you know, if, if we will just not close God out uh, and, and you know, I've gone through those times in my life where I'm just like, you know what? I've gone about as far as I can go. I've done this about as long as I can do it. Mm-hmm. I am, I am at my physical end. I'm at my monetary end. I, mm-hmm. I have no idea what I'm, what I'm going to do next. And then, because, but I never excluded God. I would always say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to serve you and I'm always going to walk with you. But all these other things in life, I'm really pretty tired of and, and I'm not really interested in participating. Mm-hmm. Well, what would be amazing is, is there are all of these ways that God would engage me and stir up my passion. Well, Abraham, what was so very interesting, God actually used meditation techniques to restore Abraham. You know, Abraham, man, he's getting discouraged. He, you know, things are not going well. Doesn't look like the promise is going to come. And so one night God speaks to him and calls him outside of his tent and says, Abraham, look up at the stars. And so he looked up at the stars and, and, and God's like, count the stars and tell me how many they are. So he was getting him to visualize something and he was telling him, your offspring is going to be greater than the number of stars that you can count. So Abraham's out there, you know, in my mind, I can just see him out there like one, two, three, you know, you know what I mean? He's at every star that he counts is like lighting a fire inside of him. And before he probably even realizes it, suddenly, man, he's on fire for God again because he knows that God's his source. And then another time, 
Abraham gets discouraged, and God's like, uh, pick up pick up a handful of, uh, of sand. And so, so he picks up his handful of sand. God says, count the grains of sand. And, uh, you know, and I often wonder, did Abraham really try to count the grains of sand? sand? So you know what I'm, I'm noticing that uh, can lack of purpose steal or rob me from my passion? Absolutely. God gave him purpose or reminded him of his plan. And that's what raised his fire. You know, Proverbs 29, I can't remember if it's 29, 1 or maybe some, some are running, but Proverbs 29 says that uh, uh, where there's no vision, and, and we think that's something about a spiritual vision that God gives us. Actually, that word is more about being able to see or perceive a clear mental picture. Yes. So if I lose the clear mental picture and, and, and I lose my goals, I, I lose you know, you know, what I want to do with my life. Well, it says, it says, well, there's no vision, people perish. Well, what's really interesting, that word perish in one translation says they run down the road naked. <laughs> and, and the idea is that you lose your vision, you lose that sense of purpose, and you start casting off restraints. You don't care how you live now. You don't care if you live godly or ungodly or moral or immoral. And, but because you because you have lost your purpose. So God, if we will interact with God, and I'm telling you, sometimes that means you go in a room and you sit down and you close the door and you just get realized with God's like, God, you know what? I don't even want to be here with you. I don't even really want to talk with you right now. Uh, but I need you. I, I need I need for you to do something in me. Listen, I can remember when I went through one of the worst times of my life. And I never really quit on God or even wanted to quit on God. But I can remember sitting down to read my Bible. And I would think, if I read my Bible, God's going to talk to me. And I don't really want to talk to God right now. And I would just close my Bible. And I would say, God, I, I'm not mad at you. Yes. But I don't think I'm ready to hear what you're going to say to me. Wow. At least you are honest. Well, I, that's, I think that's one of the reasons I survived that situation is because I just owned my stuff. I didn't try. You know, it's amazing. People think that we can lie to God, cover stuff up with God, and yeah. somehow that's going to make it go better. Listen, he knows what's going on inside of us. We, we don't have to cover it up. We lie to God and we lie to ourselves to the degree that we begin to believe in our lies. Yeah. And we lose passion. Dr. Jim, could you talk about, uh, we have like just a few more minutes, talk about those subtle moments where we lose passion subconsciously, where we just don't even notice that. When does it happen? Where where are the points where we're supposed to watch for? Well, one of the things that I was fortunate, just, you know, so many of the things that happened when I was a new believer, I think God was coordinating things, but I always tell people I just stumbled into these God things. I wasn't smart enough to figure it out. I wasn't smart enough to figure out what I needed. But when I first got saved, I, I went to this little Baptist church, great little church, loved the people, loved the pastor. And so they started in the midweek Bible study program, they started teaching the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. And so what was very interesting, so, so I'm starting my walk with God as a brand new believer going through the book of Revelation. And and fortunately, my pastor that was teaching this man, he was he, he wasn't one of these people that that tried to interpret all the bad things. 
He realized revelation is a revelation of Jesus, not a revelation of the Antichrist. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you that happens when you look at revelation, if you don't, even if you don't know the doctrine, you actually experience what we call the doctrine of eminence. Now, eminence is where something can happen and there is no warning, there is no sign, there is no way to know that it's about to happen. And so the Bible presents this idea, and now many people today don't believe in a rapture, even though the, uh, the word rapture is not in the Bible, it's the Greek word harpazo, but a lot of people just don't believe in it anymore uh, because, because they're like, oh, it should already happen. Everybody's thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. But anyhow, if you study the parables of Jesus, Jesus' parables were not just allegories. People think they were just allegories, stories in general about, about how to get saved. No, these were parables about the kingdom of God. And Jesus taught these parables. And the one thing that you see when people lost their expectation of the return of the Lord, they started getting slack. They started getting discouraged. They started violating the boundaries of, of, of other people. In other words, they, they, lost, they lost their boundaries and they ran down the road naked, according to <laughs> Proverbs 29. I'm visual. <laughs> so, you know, you know, one of the things I'm, ne I'm never going to let myself get. Now, so I'm not saying to be so foolish that you get up and think today's the day. This, this is it. Today's the day. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that every day you believe he's coming back today. You're just saying that you live every single day with the realization and the expectancy that any minute Jesus could come back and like a thief in the night where there's no warning whatsoever. Just bam, he calls us. So Dr. Jim, to finalize, this is the main question that we all, we, we came to. How to pray? How should I pray properly? Many people walk with God, but we still pray the wrong prayers. Yeah. Would you mind creating something that would give us an example? You know, I, I, I published the prayer organizer so many years ago. And so because of that, I got invited into so many prayer seminars. Every prayer seminar that I went to taught people to pray for things that Jesus said not to pray for and to pray in ways that Jesus said, don't pray that way. That's right. And that's why I developed the prayer organizer, because nobody was praying like Jesus told them. So since we're, since we want to we want to give people time. So so what we'll do is we will post something for free online guiding people through how Jesus prayed, how Jesus kept his passion alive. We will share it for people. They can use it for their prayer, personal prayer life. They can use it in their church services. They can use it however they want to and uh, and we will we will make it available uh, on our website and and on yours. Fantastic. Amazing. That's what we want. Thank you so much, Dr. Jim. That's brilliant. Well, you know, we've only got 26 seconds left. I know me and you get me and you get on these subjects and we could go we could go another hour because this is it it, it was hard to just cut it down to this. Yes. But I tell you, I want people to know you can get up wake up every day, be filled with the fire of God, have passion. Have the, I, I love what the prophet Jeremiah said. He said, I got a fire in my bones and I just can't quit talking about God. Because <laughs> that's the only way to live. That's all. 
Yes, it is. Well, all right. Thank you so much. We're out of time. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.